RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 5, Episode 2, Gene Roddenberry Interview, February 4th, 1989. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back. Star Trek fans, all my canonistas, I say that lovingly. And yes, of course, all you Trekophiles. Hey, we've got uh, an interview with the great bird himself, Gene Roddenberry, this week. So let's get right to it. Uh, just check us out on the Facebook page, of course, The Trek Files at Facebook.com. And check out this week's document, which is a lovely amounts to five pages interview with Gene. Check that out. Here's a sample, as usual. And come right back. For more on this and this week's guest. We stay in touch with fan attitudes, but we're not about to let the fans bully us into doing a job because it's our job to decide. We don't mind advice, but it's our job to decide who the characters are and what their beliefs and feelings are. Also, if I had listened to the fans too closely, there never would have been a next generation. From the first, the fans said, if you don't have Kirk and Spock, you don't have a show. In the end, it's my job and writer's and producer's job to consider all the possibilities. Well, Truckophiles, that could have been said in uh, 1989, and it could have been said this week by the current producers and showrunners on uh, Discovery and Picard and whoever else is coming down the pipe, no pun intended. Um, hey, everyone. Um, I hope you're all... Uh, sheltering well at home right now here in our COVID quarantine. Uh, and you know what? Um, we have lots of guests coming here in our fifth season down the pike, but um, I did it again. But I can't imagine who I'd like to start off with uh, in this time doing more Trek files for you than revisiting Gene himself with good friend of the show and uh, producer of the show, John Champion, my best bunker buddy ever. John. <laughs> hey, Larry. Uh, I, I feel so good that we are uh, appropriately socially distanced on opposite sides of L.A. We are. We are. Now, we've yes. had one or two guests join us long distance, but we have never been joined long distance. Yes. So this is, uh, this is a, new, a new thing. But you know what? COVID or not, um, Gene is Gene. Yeah. And I came across this interview. I've been saving it. For such a special occasion, <laughs> and uh, and it's it's just a, it's a snapshot in time. One of those famous things that we love, you know. At the, at the time, those kinds of photos and moments and documents are they're just run of the mill normal. But you know, let ten or twenty or thirty or fifty years go by, and suddenly they're precious. And yeah. this struck my eye because it's precious. It's late in Gene's life. He's only got two and a half years before he's passed, and. We are about nine months before the first stroke hits, but he's very cogent here, mid second season of Next Generation, and very, um, you know, very on all fronts here. Yeah, um, pretty much every page of this, there is a nugget of pure gene, and um, <laughs> I, I'm glad that we, I'm glad that we started out with that paragraph that we did because that's just one of those sort of uh, evergreen 
Star Trek fan concerns that is also an evergreen Star Trek producer concern, which mm-hmm. is how much or how little influence, um, uh, how much or how little of a voice do fans have when it comes to Star Trek? And Gene very clearly, as he has laid out before, he very clearly says here, he's like, no, no, look, we're writers, we're producers, we are trying to do the job that we have set out to do. We're aware of what fans say. We are aware of kind of the, the broad strokes, but really we can't let that influence us or mm-hmm. else there would never be a show. We'd never be able to make a decision about anything. <laughs> and that's, so. yeah, that's true. I'm thinking here in the late 90s, uh, we've, we've had episodes where they've had direct feedback from conventions, which is, mm-hmm. you know, speeding up the process a little bit, but they're still on a paper and stamp fan mail um, situation here, unless those people that happen to get the phone number and happen to be able to call Paramount and get forwarded over and leave a comment. And of course there's the old, any, any kind of reaction by mail or phone or whatever. Now we have tweets and, you know, email, but um, everything digitally accelerated. Yeah. But that whole thing about, you know, only the complainers, you only hear from the negative, the people that are happy and satisfied just right. go about their business. Right. People yeah. do it at times do send letters of praise, especially with Star Trek, as we've seen over time. So yeah. this is 1989, and yeah, phone calling, uh, email is not yet a thing. So we're still in letters and phone calls time. Yeah. And uh, so when he's talking about getting the fan reaction, unless you happen to you get a room full at a convention, um, so that's the kind of feedback. But the point is, it's still golden for everybody r- working on current shows as right. things accelerate <laughs> with social media. It yeah, totally <laughs> is. It, sometimes you just yeah, you can hear all that stuff, but at the end of the day, you need to mm-hmm. shut that out, stick to your guns, tell the story that you want to tell with integrity. You know, I that, think that yeah, I think the uh, the thing when you're looking at that, whether it's letters or it's uh, tweets, mm. is. Um, you know, is there one voice? Are you hearing a fractured, splintered audience reaction? Or are you getting, mm-hmm. if, if you start getting a, a, a general tone, a trend line going, uh, that's something you might pay attention to and either accept or reject. But so much of the time, I don't know if you notice this, John, or not, but <laughs> sometimes you might ask one group of Star Trek fans and get, I don't know, 47 different answers. Oh, so, really? <laughs> really? That's so strange. I would have so never occurred to me. Yeah. Take that and run with it, producers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that um, is an evergreen section. But there's a lot more in here, too. There is. There's so much. And and I do like that there's a very specific thing. Uh, at the end of that first page, uh, the interviewer asked, will we see conclusions to open-ended scripts mm-hmm. like conspiracy and neutral zone? Gene says, we will. Yes. All right. Well... <laughs> Of course, we didn't get a follow-up to Conspiracy, although, I mean, I know that at the time when that script came out, there was discussion about, ooh, well, this could lead us in one way or the other, and we could follow up on this this alien species, this bizarre little slug that eats the brain of its host. We could (laughs) follow up on that. So it wasn't out of the question. And then Neutral Zone, very interesting. So... um, uh, obviously, we did get a lot more Romulans later on, and, and usually they're just kind of lurking in the shadows, and sometimes uh, Romulans are very much the focus of a show. But when I think about Neutral Zone, of course, I think about our three uh, popsicles from the end of the 20th century mm-hmm. who uh, got thought out. And, of course, we never heard from them again. <laughs> no, all. we never heard from the character. Well, see, Conspiracy and Neutral Zone, and by the way, we should say, Mm-hmm. We've been trying to figure out who IST, the interviewer, was. Right. I don't think it's anyone's initials. I we were looking at Interstellar because that was a one-time 
name for the in-house uh, Lincoln Enterprises Star Trek fan club newsletter. Right. I'm still thinking this is, if it's not Susan Sackett doing it for a newsletter or someone for Majel or Susan here um, with, the, with the in-house thing, because this is 1989. The official fan club and magazine have been going for seven years. So I don't think it's quite that, but it was someone close to the house, I think, because the interview transcript is in Gene's files, which, you know. Yeah. I think it's someone close or was was friendly to Gene. Well, it, that, and it was somebody and, that knew these these were titles coming down the line because yeah, they yeah. hadn't aired yet. Right, right. And the uh, the print style on this matches the interview transcripts we have with a lot of <laughs> other uh, right. Susans uh, or or other associated, as you said, in house. Um, people have yeah. access to Gene to be able to do this. So, FOGs, yeah. friends of Gene. Or right, right. Yeah. So we know it's not uh, Interstellar. We know it's not inside Star Trek, but it, it could very well have been something that was written up for a fan letter or, yeah, something that would have right. come directly from the office. So, and so my point here was just mm-hmm. this, is, this was dated for February 4th. So what's happened is this is coming right as the February sweeps, which were the big ratings-heavy uh, uh, – Months where the Nielsen's measured ratings, even for syndicated shows, and producers tended to put their their plum stuff in the sweeps months, right? It was mm-hmm. a sweep show is what the mm-hmm. phrase used to be. And just so we know, a day later from this interview, now, obviously, the the world didn't see this the next day. We're not talking internet web, you know, web yeah, page here. Right. Uh, so it would be a few days. But the next day, a matter of honor would start its air week. And the week after that, measure of a man would start its airing week around Hello. the country. Yeah. So that's what's in the pipeline. But this interviewer knew conspiracy and neutral zone by name and what they were about. Mm-hmm. You know, so yes, it had to be somebody. Else. But back to the point, neutral zone is that Romulan show with the popsicles. Yeah, yes. But remember yeah. the the inciting incident of the setup for neutral zone was these scooped out planets on the on the neutral zone that we don't know what's about. It was a setup for the Borg, basically. Right. 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 Which yeah. did pay off, and then conspiracy was actually going to be originally. The little beasties, the little insect guys, were originally going to be uh, something that was going to lead into the be the Borg when the Borg were going to be insectoid, mm-hmm. and they had to give that up because of how bad the little visual, you know, the the analog visual effect um, animation looked in conspiracy. And this is well before CGI. Yeah. So it's interesting that um, she tried to pluck him, and he had that. But either way, he has that enigmatic producer answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that he yes. does. Yes, that he we does. will. And, and there are other uh, enigmatic producer uh, comments here that mm-hmm. really just jumped out at me. Um, I, I thought one of the other really interesting things here was that, all right, Gene has got clearly a much bigger presence at Next Gen, although he says in the interview right up front, yeah, he's not writing scripts, but he is there. Mm-hmm. As a producer, he's reading them from their first draft up until their final shooting script. Um, So we do get that. But he also has a little bit of a presence, not nearly as much as he would like, but a little bit of a presence over at feature films because Star Trek V will come out later this same year. It'll come out summer of 89. Yeah, June 9th. Okay, yeah. And Mm -hmm. he is about to go see another edit. And the interviewer asks him how much influence he has there or uh, are they listening to his (laughs) notes and how does he feel about it? And he says, it's very interesting, he says, well, I I didn't like it at first, but they listened to my notes. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
fine. And Which now, is, yeah. And we had that discourse back and forth. We've talked about mm-hmm. it already on the show. Some mm-hmm. we've got more to go. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then he says, well, but I'm about to go see this other cut and I don't know if I'll like it or not, but I'll, I'll let my voice be heard. But then he pulls back a little. And he, mm-hmm. he just says, yeah, but um, look, if I really needed to have influence over that, uh, then I would be a producer, but I'm not. And <laughs> it, it's it's almost the way he's phrasing it, it almost sounds like it's his decision. <laughs> right. And so I think he's playing a little bit fast and loose with his relationship to the movies at this point. Um Gene had, you know, somewhat become a thorn in people's sides by by firing off these memos, sometimes very critical, uh, and some of that very well placed, uh, but right. very critical of what they were doing. And then uh, often they would just not listen um, or reject <laughs> whatever his ideas were. And it was sort of chalked up to saying, well, he, he's a super, he's a consultant. You know, right. uh, so he doesn't really have say over this. He's not a producer anyway. But again, that that wasn't his call. It's not like he could just change his mind and say, well, I think I'll be a producer on this one. So now you have to listen to my notes. <laughs> right, right. It was not <laughs> doesn't his doesn't work like that. Yeah. Well, and this is 89. So we're a long way from the days of like 1982 when Ratha Khan was coming. He had just been dethroned to that executive consultant status. Right. Right. And he was like, it was, he was not only having to figure out his on lot relationship with, say, Hard Bennett, the producer of the TOS movies until, yeah. until five, until Hardwick, but he was also having to figure out his public persona as how do I, you know, the great Star Trek guru god that I've stoked over these years, yeah. how do I, how yeah. do I deal with this in public? And he found his way there. But look at this is then after 86, oh my God, we're doing the next generation. He had a full plate here to deal with. So it took a little bit of that pressure about, you know, it just in a PR sense and in a what's my place in the world sense to the yeah. fan base. Yeah. But it was something, it was, it was also, that was a two-way street. It was a monster because if five went down or any movie went down, he would still face the wrath of fandom, sure. you know, over it, even though knowing like, sorry, kids, I don't really have anything to do with that. They, they demoted me. Remember? I mean, you yeah. can't jump up and say that. So yes. he is walking that tightrope, but five, especially, I mean, he had gotten to a working relationship by now with, with Harv and whether it was Nick Meyer working with him or whatever, but Star Trek five, very famously, as we've talked about the whole notion of finding God. Oh, well, it turns out that it's a fake as the drafts go along and his Shatner has to mm-hmm. rescope his, his vision. Yeah. Just to put the mindset back here behind that, he's, you know, he, Gene did succeed in backing him off this crazy fine god to, oh, it's another alien shyster portraying, you know, sh- uh, shenanigan portraying himself as a god. Right. And then how does right. that play out? And then, but then you, with, uh, but then with, um, you know, a Vulcan half brother, you know, Cyborg <laughs> and, and this, I feel your pain and how all that would filter into the established character. So he was very, I think of all the movies, five was the one he was firing off those memos to. And oh, yeah. Yeah, they yeah, didn't yeah. have to legally listen to him, but I think at times, I think maybe there were times when Leonard was maybe, even though they were not friends' friends, they were joining in. I mean, there were a lot of concerns about Shatner's project anyway. Sure. You know. Sure, yeah. So, and I think, I think Gene did have some impact, but yes, he is very much playing the, um, he's even pulling his punches here about wondering how fandom is going to react to it. And so that he doesn't get too right. tightly tagged to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I thought that was know. interesting, too. And then uh, there was something that you pointed out to me here that uh, was also interesting, just sort of 
kind of where his mind is about developing next gen and maybe it speaks oh, to some yes. of the, the older uh, influences that he's bringing along here thinking very much in that sort of TOS format uh, where you have a very uh, almost an anthology style show where nothing counts from one week to another. Oh, I, that's what's hit me right off the bat. Because yeah. it's so prescient now for our whole discussion about serialized storytelling and discovery and Picard and what arc, long-time arc, you know, it's, it, they aren't episodes, they're chapters, right? Right, right, right. yeah. Here in this early part. So that was so interesting that he says here, like, just flat out, well, well you, you can't have that captain have a relationship with the doctor. You're, you're done. You're done at that mm-hmm. point, <laughs> you know? And I, I think, well, are you really... Or is it just sort of this artificial limit that you've set on how you think these stories have to be told? I don't totally disagree with them. I, I look back at TOS and I think had they um, ha- had they fully explored the relationship between Kirk and Rand, uh, that probably would have been a huge mistake. And mm-hmm. it would have suddenly turned into a soap opera, but told the way that a late 60s show would tell <laughs> that story, as opposed to the way you might tell it now. Um, and same thing even with Next Gen. Like, w- would that show have suffered if you had fully explored a relationship between uh, Picard and Crusher? We did get some exploration, but only much later when it came to um, uh, Riker and Troy and Troy right. and Worf, obviously. But even with uh, Picard, they sort of they had their cake and ate it too by having everything that took place in the finale be just sort of like well we we can hit a reset button here we we right, can explore right. this alternate timeline and look they've already been together they've already had a divorce right <laughs> you know one of the one of the, one of the major tweaks to fandom like warp thirteen and three nacelle enterprise and all of that yes, yes. well see but see. So number one, I think it's interesting that the question is why we don't see the major characters develop personal lasting relationships. Nowhere in that question does she say, I wouldn't even say of, of opposite sex or gender. She's, you know, now we'd mm. say just a loving right. relationship. We all have relationships that are personal and lasting with anybody who's in our life for more yeah. than, you know, 47 minutes. So, <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, yeah. as I mean, Kirk and Spock and McCoy all had personal lasting relationships and they didn't sleep together except in Slash fandom. So, <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they immediately, or he immediately jumps to Picard Beverly or, or, you know, Troy and Riker here. And yeah, we did get attached. It was one non future alternate history kind of payback to that. Mm. And we wouldn't have had Troy and Riker if. Jonathan Marina had been keeping it alive all those years. And you and there yeah, was enough of yeah. a turntable of writers who would see that on screen and go, those little, you know, bits, they would just look at each other and go, oh, uh, the same thing that sprung uh, Worf and Dax, where they did take an inclination and run with it on right. DS9, right? Right. Yeah. But I loved his reaction when this basic question comes up where they don't even mention, like, opposite sex romantics, intimate sexual attraction. And then he says, mm-hmm. oh, once you do that, you're stuck with it. Or the questioner says, says uh, and then the questioner says, Once you, unless you kill them off. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, back to Bonanza Wives, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, truly, truly. That's, it's so not, was... It is so not a, um, a modern take on, you know, uh, this was supposed to be the era of Hill Street Blues and emerging the ensemble. That's what right. Next Gen was, the big revolution. And, but we've come so much further since that now. But that's, that really stuck out to me as, boy, that's a project 
yeah. uh, of its time. Because then yeah. he immediately leaps to saying, if the captain marries a doctor, Picard Crusher, then you've got a man and a wife situation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, and who told you you can't do that? Well, it's we're, your we're, show. Yeah. we're such in that, you know, the captain's going to be married to his ship and can't be distracted uh, syndrome. Right. So. Right. Exactly. Uh, anyway, that was just a, yeah. that was the point of its time. And then, you know, they go through these other these other points um, that are a lot of them are pretty much still the same, carry the same mm-hmm. way. Uh, they talk about their strikes, which are interesting in lieu of what's happened lately and what he's up to. Uh, I, when he says the Discovery Channel is his favorite, he's talking obviously about the old Discovery Channel. I, I was about to say, yeah, yeah. there's no way that uh, Discovery and History Channel you could really look at as being just uh, purely exploratory scientific programming. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, yeah. You can't do that now. But at the time, and look, I totally get that. I mean, I, I you, and I, we both. Uh, work in the Star Trek world with Star Trek around us all the time. And uh, my wind down material is typically nonfiction. It's, mm-hmm. you know, documentary and travel and that kind of, so I get it. I, I totally understand where Gene is coming from with that. Mm. Well, I was kind of, he wraps up here. Oh, I, yeah. It's 1989's Discovery Channel Kids. Yes. Um, yeah, very different animal. <laughs> but it's interesting. I almost feel like the interviewer is kind of ticking off all these boxes. Hey, are you going to do any, it's almost sad now looking back at this. Uh, future projects. He's working with National Space Institute and Hugh Downs. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. Are you doing any lecturing? Well, I've kind of done my. You know, he doesn't want to say, guys, I'm like nearly seventy here. Or whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm. I'm not yeah. going to be. You know, doing that. And again, it's cute the way he wraps it up. And his grandmother saying, "Always have faith, Gene." If you think the right kind of thoughts and have a little pride. I mean, that was kind of a. It'll all work out, which is yeah, a nice mantra for these days yeah. that we're living through. Yeah. And this, and this uh, cherry on top here talking about the Star Trek adventure at Universal and, um, and what a hoot that was. And, you know, he, you know, Gene never saw Star Trek the experience, yeah. of, you know, much less what's coming back. But I, it's just this whole package of a, of a, to, to maybe wrap things up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it is a, it's a quintessential Gene interview. We were laughing about pragmatic producer non-speak. He does it a hell of a lot better than poor Rick Berman ever could do it. <laughs> he has some very, very interesting shows with some things I think the fans will find very, very interesting. That was yes. a sentence, you know. So yes. Gene could spin this. He'd had a lot of years doing it. But uh, it's, it's bittersweet now to think, yes, it's another uh, slice off the pie here. But it's from February 89. Uh, he'd have his first major stroke about, what, uh, seven months later. Yeah, And then he would be back. And then third season, a lot of people would see, and he recovered from that ostensibly, but a lot of people see declining mental state. We've heard some of those where he would have these irrational battles over, you know, Picard and some of the characters and just the, you know, and, and Michael Piller came third season. This is still Maury Hurley's time. We're doing this, but as Michael Piller came and they, and Michael and Rick took more of the show on and developed the third season craziness, but also brought it out of that. Yeah. Um, his, uh, uh, his big strokes happened early in um, uh, 91 and continuing, and then he, and he passed in what was it, October 24th of 91. So yeah. we're only like two and a half years here before Gene's passing. But this interview, still seeing, you can tell he's still very much the cogent Gene of, of old. Yeah, and I would just say, you know, the, this document is only five pages long, but literally every page there's something mm-hmm. worthwhile to take from. So we, uh, you know, scratched uh, a bit of the surface here, uh, and you can certainly all go take a look on Facebook and get a little deeper yeah. into it as well. 
it is a great example. Gosh, John, we should do this for a show. Oh, wait. We, <laughs> <laughs> we did. Well, John, this is, uh, I think we've done fine for, for distant bunker buddies here. I think so. Okay. I think so. Yeah. We'll probably do this again, but yes. <laughs> we will. We will. It. We do have some guests uh, lined up coming up, but um, it seemed a perfect time to get out this, I say, chestnut, and mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> which, again, has lots of prescience for today uh, that we're living in. So um, anyway, thanks for... <laughs> Thanks for dropping by my Zoom, uh, John. <laughs> well, thank you. It's my pleasure as always. <laughs> the Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. All of our documents and your chance to comment are available, as always, at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Now, for more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek in Portal 47 at LarryNemechek.com. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.